What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Early Read Betside. It's college football betting show. I'm your host, Reed Wallach, joined by one of my favorite people on Twitter, I must say, one of my first friends in the sports betting community. He loves the group of five, arguably more than he does his high-profile matchups. It's Mike Calabrese at East Breeze on Twitter, E-A-S-T-B-R-E-E-S-E. Uh, he's the co-host of the group of five Deep Dive on the Action Network uh, with another friend of the program, Mike Ionello, and he's also the director of U.S. content for OLBG. Mike, again, you're one of my favorite guys on Twitter. Thank you for joining the early read. How's it going? It's going great. You know, we're in the heart of conference play now, so a, a lot more even matchups on a weekly basis. It got a little dicey there trying to pick G5 teams, catching <laughs> 30, 40 points a week playing SEC teams for paychecks. Uh, but now that we're into conference play here in October, it's a, it's a safe place for me. It's a happy place. Baseball playoffs, too. There's basically something to bet on every single day. It's a great time of year. Yeah, we got matching coming around in a few weeks. That's when we really get into it. We're talking like five days a week. We're betting on college football. So, you know, that's not there yet, but we're getting there now with a conference play kicking off. But we have a busy show today. We, of course, have to talk last week. Bryce Young, uh, sprained AC joint uh, status up in the air for this week against Texas A&M. So we're going to talk some betting fallout from the Bryce Young injury. We have our marquee matchup, number 17 TCU taking on number 19 Kansas. Who would have thought we were talking about that game on October 4th uh, before the season? And we got, of course, a whole bunch of bets to give out, including some SEC matchups, of of course, our underdog best bet and the late night game. Uh, so we got a lot to get to. If you got any questions, we're going to answer them at the end of the show. So start, you know, filing them in. We will get to them again at the end. And while you're over there, make sure you like and subscribe to Betsided's YouTube page. We got Daily Bet Slip Monday through Friday. We got Matt Verderam and Ian McMillan's live stream of the NFL slate Sunday afternoons. And of course, this fine program, The Early Read. So make sure you like and subscribe to the show so we get all that um, to you. You ready to go, Mike? You ready to talk some college football? Let's fire it up. All right. So we'll start with kind of the biggest news from last week. That was, of course, Bryce Young injuries suffered in the first half of the Alabama Arkansas game. Got a little dicey in the second half with Young out. Uh, it's now being called a sprained AC joint, according to Nick Saban, day to day at the moment. Alabama pulls away, though, with Milrow at quarterback. You know, we don't know his status going forward. We have to assume he's going to be a little bit limited in the next week or two if he even plays. Alabama's laying a huge number against Texas A&M this week. Tennessee on deck, I think, is the more concern, you know, if we want to talk about it. But, Mike, what is your biggest kind of betting takeaway from this injury, no matter how long Bryce Young is out for? I think Milrow immediately unlocks all the potential that Gibbs has. You saw it in the read option game where he finally was able to get some wiggle room and hit some home run plays. Because no matter what, whoever's playing quarterback this year, they're not going to have the same dynamic passing game they did when they had Jamison Williams and Mechie III out on the mm -hmm. perimeter. Yes, they have a lot of talented you know, young players out there, but they're not going to all of a sudden morph into these game changers. So they have to be able to hit big plays in the running game to truly have an elite running offense. And you also see it just in terms of the numbers. When a quarterback can run the way that Milrow can, and Bryce Young is absolutely functional in the pocket, he can extend plays, but he's extending to throw the ball. Milrow, all of a sudden, when you start to do the math, when he's running it, QB power off those read option plays, I think there's going to be some real issues for defenses, particularly A&M. So if I'm Nick Saban, I'm not rushing Bryce Young back mm -hmm. in this game. 
The A&M defense, despite all of their talent, all the recruiting numbers, everything else, this depth, they're 97th against the run. They're giving up almost four and a half yards per carry. So I think just being able to pair that with this electric Alabama defense, they're going to be able to win going away here. The real question is the week after that against Tennessee, it may devolve into a shootout given how well Tennessee's played on offense this year. But I think there's a little bit of fool's gold in the numbers when it comes to Tennessee's run defense. They're top 25. But they gave up over 100 yards rushing to Izzy Abanaconda. And I think in terms of, uh, you know, the star potential of Gibbs to pop off in that game, that's another game I think you get by with Milrow. So really, I'm sure Saban's not going to tip his hand, play it day to day, and yeah. really feed the media zero in terms of who he's going to start. But I think they're going to be fine, whether it's Young or Milrow. Yeah, especially, you know, Jimbo Fisher coming to town, all that offseason fallout with the two of them. He's given him nothing. He is keeping this as close to the vest as possible. I agree. I don't think Bama, there's a concern that one young is going to miss significant time and this is going to ruin like their college football playoff aspirations. I wasn't crazy about Bama compared to like Georgia and Ohio state going into the year odds wise. So this, I guess keeps me, I still had Alabama as like my third choice of the three, to be honest. So this keeps me there. The bigger takeaway is the Heisman trophy race because everybody's still kind of packed together, whether it's CJ Shroud Bryce Young, Caleb Williams, Hendon Hooker, who I know we're going to talk about in a little bit. You want to throw Stetson Bennett in there. I know Adrian Martinez odds are up. I'm not considering him an actual Heisman contender, but he's in the mix now, I guess. So everyone's still bunched up. I did not buy Bryce Young in the Heisman trophy market because there's only been one back-to-back winner. I was a little concerned with the pass catchers. I think that this injury, especially if going forward, is going to be a little bit limited, you know, keep it more run-based, Jameer Gibbs more. I think this kind of X is young out. I'm now curious, can someone further back, whether it's like a DJ Uyunglele or a Stetson Bennett, can they play themselves and take some of Bryce Young's odds? Last week, he was 5-1. to one. He's now back to 10-1 to one at FanDuel. Do you see someone in the Heisman Trophy market maybe getting themselves into the mix? Because CJ Shroud's the favorite at plus 150, but he hasn't necessarily wowed everyone just yet with this Ohio State offense. For my money, last year, the best player in college football was Will Anderson. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an opportunity for him to take an even more elevated place in terms of the national consciousness, because if he plays really well in back-to-back games, say that Bryce Young is on the shelf and even just the perception that the defense needs to play better. If he throws in four or five tackles for loss, force fumble interception, I mean, he already has the, the INT pick six this year. Mm-hmm. I think there's an opportunity for him legitimately to put himself in the middle of that Heisman conversation. Because honestly, a lot of this has to do with your year-over-year performance. I, I agree with you 100%. That's why Bryce Young was probably dead money from the start, yeah. where it's, you know, how do you outdo what you did last year? And even some of the finalists, C.J. Stroud in the same way, Ohio State's rolling on offense, but they're doing it a lot in the running game. He's not going to throw and get in these shootouts throwing for 400, 500 yards. So does that position a defensive player to be taken seriously? I also think a name ID comes into play to a certain degree. You know, in September last year, only real diehards were talking a lot about Will Anderson. Now someone have, having won so many you know defensive awards last year inserted himself in the Heisman conversation down the stretch. I think he's decent, you know, in terms of value on the board right now. Yeah, a few weeks ago, I was talking about Dylan Gabriel at 50 to 1. That is even worse now. I don't even know where his odds are anymore. One player I do want to mention really quick before we move on Stetson Bennett, I think, is in the mix. The numbers aren't there as much. It's more if Georgia, and I know they had a scare last week, but if Georgia's going to go on a run, and even especially, I think, if Alabama is to lose one now with Bryce Young hurt, Stetson Bennett has the narrative to make it to New York where. 
He's the quarterback of the number one team in the country, assuming Alabama falls and they stay ahead of Ohio State. But he's the quarterback of the number one team in the country. The offense is better this year than last year, arguably. Maybe Stetson Bennett plays himself into the mix where he's closer to 10 to 1, 8 to 1 versus, you know, 20 to 1, 25 to 1, which he is across the board. So I think Stetson Bennett is, if we're talking like longer shot, you're going way deep. I, I can't get there with you with Will Anderson just because of you got to beat CJ Shroud still. So I think Stetson Bennett has a narrative going his way if he's the number, if he's the quarterback playing well on the number one team in the country. I will say in relation to Stetson Bennett, it's interesting in a lot of cases, quarterbacks have to compete sometimes with their receivers stealing their shine or running back in the backfield. Interestingly, Brock Bowers, does he, if you consider Stetson Bennett, are you also considering a tight end to, I think he's got three or four rushing touchdowns at this point in the year. Not that that's going to siphon the picks, but it could siphon the interest a bit from Stetson Bennett going off as the number one guy on the ballot at the end of the year. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great point, but I think longer shot, I think Bryce Young, though, we can both agree, trending in the wrong direction, and then, you know, we'll see what happens. But some good Heisman Trophy talk there. Let's talk some marquee matchup, TCU-Kansas. Before we get there, let's just recap the picks for last week. Uh, my picks on the show, 6-2 and two last week, uh, best show record so far, 11-5-1 over our last two weeks, 22-17-1 on the year, so we love to see that. I'm uh, getting some CLV and also making some money along the week along the way, but it's a new week. So let's get to it. TCU, like we said, just absolutely boat raced Oklahoma last week, uh, 55, 24. I think they could have put up more if they wanted to. They now get Kansas who kind of the darling of the media this year, the, you know, breakout year five and oh, they're still, they were underdogs last week. And I think I had Kansas last week. They were lucky to win that game. Took three Iowa state missed field goals to get there. They're now catching even more against TCU who, I bet on them before the season to win the Big 12. I'm on their over win total. So this is a team that, you know, we call them the early readers. They are invested in if they watch the preseason show. Mike, are you seeing Kansas keeping this Cohen or is TCU, they're a Big 12 contender. They are legit. They are, there's no let up here with college game day going to Lawrence. The coaching carousel, the head coaches get all the love in the offseason, but I love to target in on those coordinators. And Joe Gillespie was one yep. of the best hires in all of college football, in my opinion. He took over a defense that was hard last year for TCU. 118th in scoring, 119th in total D, 104th in turnovers generated. You look at their numbers through, you know, almost halfway through the season now, 45th in scoring, 65th in total D, 21st in turnovers generated. It may not seem like they're an elite defense, but that's a huge jump. And when you pair it, what they've been able to do offensively, I think TCU is absolutely the play here. And also the blueprint was handed over by John Heacock, who one of my favorite defense coordinators, not just in the big 12, but in the entire country, he shut down that Kansas attack. Jalen Daniels was like, I mean, you want to talk sleepers for the Heisman trophy. (laughs) He was on a run, 10 touchdowns, no picks in three games. He goes seven for 14 for 93 yards with only nine rushing yards. So when you pair that up in this game, I think, Gillespie's as talented as there is in the game right now. He's going to borrow some of that. And honestly, the offensive element of it, I think what was undersold, Iowa State moved the football. They lost Brock early in that game, and they couldn't run the football. They became a little one-dimensional beyond the the special teams miscues. So I think in this spot, Duggan, the rest of, you know, they do a lot of those kind of like orbital um, motions where they, you know, they fake out the screens, they run counters off it, they run QB Mm. counters. I think they're going to be dynamic. I think they're going to hit some really big plays. And this is against a Kansas defense that when you look at quarterbacks hurting them, Duke's quarterback did it. Clayton Toon even went for over 60 yards rushing. I think this is going to be a big game for Duggan. Seven points doesn't scare me away. I played all the way up to nine and a half. 
Yeah, uh, I think we see eye to eye here. I think the buck stops here for the Jayhawks. Great story. You know, a lot of fun. I think that they're in trouble because I mean, I was bullish on TCU before the year and they have lived up to the height, especially now that, you know, almost like a fortuitous injury to Chandler Morris. Obviously, hope he's OK. But I mean, Duggan was backing him up and now all of a sudden he's back and he's realizing his potential. Um, the team total isn't out yet, but if you project it by implied totals around 36 and a half. I played up to 38. I think TCU, this offense is a wagon. Most yards for play in the country. Uh, the offensive line is elite. Kansas, uh, outside the top 100 in defensive line yards, so they're not getting a push um, at the line of scrimmage. Uh, 80th in success rate. I just think TCU rolls here. I think, like you said, Mike, they're going to be able to hit big plays. They're gonna, they play fast. They're going to, you know, they're not looking to ease up here. We saw it against Oklahoma. They want to put up points in bunches. So, I mean, I like TCU with the points. I think, you know, the spread is a little rich now where it opens. So I instead want to go team total over 36 and a half up to 38 is still good for me. So we both think TCU rolls here, uh, big 12 uh, conference championship contender, I think for sure. So there it is again, the marquee matchup, Mike taking TCU lay in the seven. I am on TCU team total over 36 and a half as we keep it rolling here on the early read. Uh, so Mike, like I said, you co-host the action networks group of five deep dive. This is, you know, Strictly for like true the gents who are looking to get their Sun Belt, their Conference USA, their Mac fix. So, you know, this is a special segment for you. A group of five best bet. Mine is vile. Yours not as much. So tell, tell me about Kent State, Miami of Ohio. What are you thinking here with your group of five best bet? So for starters, it's all about knowing your personnel, particularly when it comes to betting the bottom of the board games. And Miami of Ohio, without their starting quarterback, Brett Gabbert, he's probably going to be out for the entire season. Avion Smith comes in, dynamic runner. He shredded the Buffalo defense on the ground last week, but he, he's really kind of scattershot in the passing game. And that really plays to Kent State because they have some issues on their back end in terms of pass defense. But I think they can bow their necks a little bit, play bend but not break and stop them in the red zone. And when they have the ball, this offense is absolutely dynamic. Colin Schley, 475 total yards in the MAC opener last week. They end up stubbing their toe in the red zone twice. They got down to the Ohio 11. They took a sack, a penalty. They actually punt. They get down to the Ohio 13 in the second half, a strip sack, fumble loss. If those things come together, they cover that number against the Bobcats. That opened at seven and bubbled all the way up to 13. So you can mm. see a lot of steam on this Kent State team that cut their teeth against a really, really strong non-conference schedule, to put it lightly. They played Washington, Oklahoma, and Georgia. They cover against Oklahoma. They cover against Georgia. It looks really good doing it. And it's not just Schley. I mean, they have Marquez Cooper, who went for over 200 yards rushing you know, last week. They probably have the best receiving core in the MAC between Cephas and Walker as they're one and two. I think this offense ready, is ready to pop again. So I don't mind laying the sixes under that key number. I think that's actually a gift. So I'll go ahead with the golden flashes here with, you know, if everything trends in their direction down the stretch, they may be favored in all but one game in Mac play. So I think you're getting potentially the best team in the Mac under a touchdown. Got to go ahead and play that. Yeah. Don't hate it all. Mine, uh, much grosser. Uh, I'm going to take the plus 28 with South Florida against Cincinnati. And, you know, I was, I tweeted on Saturday how dead South Florida looked and stuff like that. They were down. I think they let up like 30 plus points to East Carolina last week. Um, they also closed. First of all, the game was moved. It was on a neutral site. Um, they closed nine and a half in that game to East Carolina, who is maybe a middle of the pack above average uh, AAC team. They're now playing Cincinnati um, catching 28. That seems a bit far for my liking. I make Cincinnati closer like 24 and a half. So, you know, you're getting four touchdowns here with South Florida. And 
I watched NC last week against Tulsa. I had the over in the game and somehow stayed under. But besides the point, they get a pick six early in the game, but the offense really sputtered in the second half. And I saw that again against Indiana as well. These are teams that are, these are two teams that could hang around. And now you're getting South Florida, egregious number. Again, they were 14 and a half to Louisville two weeks ago, nine and a half to East U. Now you're getting all the way to 28. Since he has a bye next week, then they get SMU and UCF the following two weeks. Are they going to try and run this up? I don't think so. South Florida has you know a former Power 5 quarterback in Bohannon. I just think plus 28, I mean, this has to be like rock bottom rating for the Bulls. So you're going to give me four touchdowns. I'll take it again. I think Cincinnati slowed up in these games after halftime, and that can maybe help South Florida get in the back door. Remember, this is a team that should have beat Florida on the road a few weeks ago. Now you're getting 28 against Cincinnati, who – I don't know. I still don't think is like as good as people are making out to be. Um, you know, they should have not covered against Tulsa last week. I, I agree with you. And Luke Fickle, we have enough evidence, you know, multiple years as the head coach. He's a conservative head coach, even though, you know, if they have a big lead, they're going to go to Prater off of the bench. And it, in my opinion, he's a little bit more dynamic in the passing game. But even with that said, it's he's still limited by the play calling. So mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I think this is an interesting play. I know you're dumpster diving on this one. My only concern is Ivan Pace Jr., who is basically the G5 Will Anderson. He is a tackle <laughs> for loss yeah. machine. He can destroy a backfield. So Gary Bohannon's got to keep his head on a swivel on this one. For sure. I just think, you know, this is like rock bottom for South Florida. You got to play against it. I mean, 28, that's just a little crazy to me. So there's our group of five best bets. Uh, had to pull out all the stops for Mike coming on. Again, he is on Kent State. Lane six against Miami of Ohio. I am taking South Florida plus 28 against Cincinnati. Hopefully they can keep it somewhat relatively close. We go from the group of five to the SEC. So we go from, you know, some small conference uh, games to the best in the college football. So talking SEC here, Mike, I'll start with you because we were talking before we started about Tennessee LSU. So I want to get your thoughts on this one. Tennessee uh, minus a juice two and a half at LSU ahead of the Alabama game. Yeah, I think this is a play that seems like a trap, but this is a game that Tennessee absolutely has to have if they want to be in the race to win the SEC East. So I I don't think there's any opportunity even looking forward, given what's ahead of them on their schedule. But this is up against an LSU pass offense that essentially is broken. They were 10 for 26 last week, 85 yards against Auburn. And granted, Auburn's a top 30 pass defense, but they made them look absolutely elite. And then when you flip it over, LSU gives up 337 yards through the air to Robbie Ashford in his second start. I mean, Hendon Hooker's got to be licking his chops here, even without Cedric Tillman, who's still going to be on the shelf probably through the end of October. Brew McCoy moving up into that wide receiver two role, Jalen Hyatt on the perimeter as well. I think the known factor in this game is the Tennessee offense. I think they're going to go for 31 plus in this one. So it's a question of can they shore up a really leaky pass defense? You saw a lot of garbage time yards by Anthony Richardson two weeks ago at Neyland's. I think there's an opportunity for LSU to improve, but to improve enough to beat a Tennessee team that I think is you know a bona fide top 10 squad right now. I just don't see it. So I'm going to go ahead with Hendon Hooker, who, by the way, if you look back to last year, how did he perform against quality SEC defenses on the road? Three touchdowns at Alabama, four touchdowns at Kentucky. He's not someone who only feasts on home cooking. So I'm going to see Hooker and the offense getting it going here. And Tennessee probably winning by, we'll call it seven to ten points. Yeah, this was going to be a no touch for me. And, you know, I was chatting with one of my buddies. You know, we talk opening lines and. You know, he goes, Tennessee has to be the trap of the week, laying three at LSU. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, I make it a little bit more than three. Don't really have an interest in playing it. Got bet down to two and a half. I, you know, snagged it. I know it's juice two and a half. I still like it. Um, 
again, this also Jane Daniels got banged up in that Auburn game last week. They probably should have lost after Robbie Asher, like you said, kind of carved them up. So I think Tennessee is going to win this one going away. I, I like the Vols as well. So I'm on that with you. Um, for my SEC bet, though, I'm going to go over 49 and a half South Carolina, Kentucky. I know you think Kentucky. We just watched that rock fight against Ole Miss last week in the noon slate. That game probably should have went over. I was on the under. Um, Kentucky, Will Levis, two fumbles inside the green zone. Ole Miss got stopped at the goal line. Game lands 22-19. Now you get South Carolina's defense. That is 113th in EPA per rush. Chris Rodriguez came back from suspension for Kentucky. I think he's going to get going on the ground for a Kentucky offense that needs to get going on the ground. I mean, they've been terrible without him. So I think South Carolina is exactly what the doctor ordered for this Kentucky offense. And on the other side, the Wildcats defense has not been getting a ton of pressure. Only six sacks on the year. Um, Spencer Rattler, this team has been playing from behind, but he could still hit explosive plays. They're 31st in explosive pass rate. So I think something in the neighborhood of Kentucky getting over 30 and South Carolina doing their end to get, you know, to, you know, low twenties, mid twenties. I think Kentucky wins this one comfortably, but I think it's gonna be higher scoring than expected. South Carolina has been in some higher scoring games. You know, we look at the Arkansas game and Arkansas's defenses in Kentucky's, but 44 30 final. So I think, you know, Rattler playing from behind, he could throw some picks and give short fields to Kentucky, but he could also hit a few chunk plays. So I'll go over there. I think that's a bit of a discount there with Kentucky's recent play. So there's our SEC best bets. Mike is on Tennessee minus two and a half against LSU. I'm with him there. Um, I also play the over 49 and a half South Carolina versus Kentucky. Um, now we're going to talk some underdog best bets here. Uh, Two juicy ones, both in prime time. Mike, talk to me about BYU-Notre Dame. I was a little bit shocked to see BYU as the underdog here, you know, a Mm -hmm. de facto holy war, but it's in Sin City. It's not in South Bend. And you know that BYU's fan base is going to travel. So I think they're going to have a a de facto home field advantage in this one. And I'm a little bit confused, to be honest, because I think what's happening is people look at the last performance from Notre Dame against that North Carolina defense. Oh, okay. The offense is fixed. They're going to be able to score 28 plus UNC is awful on defense. They're in the yep. triple digits in scoring D, total D, op- opponent's completion percentage. And they were able to just do whatever they wanted in terms of the fighting Irish offense. Whereas BYU, I think, given the fact that they've had kind of a revolving door at the skill positions because of injuries, you got Puka Nakua, Chase Roberts, Miles, Miles Davis, all banged up. But I've been reading you know, the tea leaves in terms of Sataki mentioning who's available the whole year you know, basically dating back to the opener against USF. And his tone is a lot more optimistic in this one. So I think if he gets one, two of those guys back, you're pairing him with Jaron Hall, who's quietly playing some great football. 12 to 1 touchdown interception ratio, 70% completions. Gunnar Romney back from a lacerated kidney. He's going to be in his second game, kind of shaking off the rust. I think BYU's offense can be able to move the football. And defensively, I really like what they're going to be able to do to contain a Notre Dame run offense as, as well as they possibly can. Certainly better than North Carolina defense that was a full-on turnstile in their last game. So I'm going to go with BYU on the money line here. I actually think the wrong team's favored. Yeah, I'm with you here. BYU, this is a team I was high on all season long. I think you know the luster kind of uh, came off them after that Oregon loss, which was like a miserable spot for them. But this is a veteran defense that I think could contain a very vanilla Notre Dame offense with Playa quarterback. They want to run the ball. I agree. Jaron Hall's the far better quarterback. He's an NFL prospect, in my opinion. Um, I agree. I was shocked when this line came out. I thought I would have to play BYU like plus one and a half. Like I see Notre Dame maybe favored on a neutral, but like 
plus four over a field goal. Give me a break. I think BYU could put up points in bunches here and really pull ahead on the scoreboard. So I'm with you there. Um, we were just talking, BYU is one of my teams. We now get my favorite fade. Uh, we're going back to the well. We are going to be fading USC here against Washington State. I've been calling for it. We're tried again. Uh, I make this game 10. So 11 was a buy for me when it opened. 13, I still like it. Washington State's able to run the ball at a very high level. Um, they're 25th in EPA per rush. USC is 118th in EPA per rush on defense. So if Washington State is going to be able to move those chains, um, Cameron Ward's going to have to avoid turnovers against this very opportunistic USC defense. Uh, they finally had a turnover last week. Um, they're all about generating turnovers. That's it. They can't stop anyone. Meanwhile, Washington State's defense, I know what Wisconsin sucked, but they went on the road and shut them down. They kept Oregon down for at least a half. You know, they're top 25 in success rate. I think Washington State could do a lot of things to keep up with USC, keep it within two scores. I think they're live to win this one also. Do not think that this USC team that's full of transfers, that's full of high-profile guys, isn't looking ahead to next week when they go to Utah. I could see them overlooking Washington State. I could see them getting got. Um, give me the Cougs. I, I think that they're live in this one. Mike, are you with me or you're against me? I agree with you. When it comes to USC's defense, they're a paper tiger. I mean, just cue up the Jesse Pinkman Breaking Bad meme. They can't keep getting away with it. They can't keep getting gouged on the ground and then getting bailed out with turnover luck. And you even saw it at the beginning of the season against Rice. They gave up like 5.6 yards per carry to Rice. That means anybody can run on this defense. And I agree with you. I think Washington State's going to be a live dog in this game. It's really going to come down to Cam Ward. Can yeah. he play a little bit better? Can he take those steps forward and really kind of challenge them in the second half. Because if he throws some picks early, I could see this getting out of out of hand. Because USC's offense, when they are clicking, when they are at home, they look pretty much elite. But I do like the situational element of it as well with Utah on deck. Yeah, I think we saw this with Fresno State. They fell behind by a little too much and they couldn't keep up. Of course, Jake Hayner gets hurt. That ruined any shot at cover. But Oregon State, they still they they were behind. They were minus in the turnover margin. They still kept up with USC. I think if Cam Ward can protect the ball, the talent is there for Cam Ward. I mean, he was slinging it against Oregon. If he's on his game, this is you know this game is going to be up for grabs in the final minutes. Whoever has the ball last, I think, can win. It's a high total game. I think Washington State's game here. They've showed that they can play up to their competition. So yeah, I think USC could get caught looking ahead here. So give me Washington State. We'll we'll try this again here. Uh, fading USC. Meanwhile, they let Arizona State, who's a corpse, go up and down the field on them last week. So there's Mike. He's taking BYU plus 150 on the money line. I'm going to take the points with Washington State because it's a little bit bigger of an underdog plus 13, but I'm also on the money line. Um, I think that this is an upset. I think, you know, we finally get them. We finally get USC and uh, beat those frauds. But that game is at 730. We have more late night action for you, though. Primetime action. Mike, talk to me about another Pac-12 matchup between Oregon and Arizona and what you're looking for. So it's pretty simple. Let's just look at the you know stat cards for these two teams. Oregon total offense 18th, defense 96th. Arizona total offense 10th, defense 76th. And then when you when you dig in even a little bit deeper in terms of big plays, Arizona, it, to no surprise of us here in G5 land, when they got Jacob Cowling away from UTEP, we were like, this is the yeah. difference maker. And he has been. They're third nationally in plays at 20 yards per more. And then when you look at Oregon, they give up big plays all the time. 61st nationally in surrendering plays at 20 yards or more. And then finally, kind of just historically, when Oregon travels down to the desert, it's bad news for the Ducks. 44-15 in 2018. You got to go all the way back to 2013 for the last time. 
Um, before that, that the Wildcats shocked them in Tucson, 42-16. But it's just the, the home cooking, the night game there in Tucson. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of bullish on this Arizona team to lay a big number on Oregon. And interestingly, in just about a month's time, I went from, okay, who's the backup behind Bo Nix because he's not going to survive <laughs> the season. And now he's all of a sudden a dual threat savant. So I'm not going to buck that trend. I'm going to go over. It's, it's sitting in the 70 point range. I played up to 71 and a half. Going to go over on this total. Yeah, I was. This was written down like on my Sunday sheet before the openers came out. You know, Oregon, Arizona over had both teams over last week. I mean, both these offenses can hum. Jane Delora looks great at Arizona with cowing, like you said. Um, a little bit too rich for me now at seventy. You know, maybe if it comes back down, I'll be in. But I, to me, this is over a pass. You can't take an under with these two offenses, also their defenses too. Um, I'm looking back on you know more of the East Coast. I'm going to lay the points with NC State. There's cheap three and a halfs out there. Might juice threes. I like both. I played three and a half minus one five. I think you're getting NC State at a discount here. I thought they actually acquitted themselves quite well against Clemson. Clemson's the best team in the ACC. So I don't think losing convincingly to Clemson on the road is that bad. I, you know, I think that this is a very good buy low spot on NC State though. Florida State's defense, 100th in defensive success rate. You know, I know that they're trending up macro with Norvell, but I still, you know, who have they beat? They beat LSU in week one on neutral in a chaotic game. They beat Louisville, who's a mess. They beat um, Boston College, who is one of the worst ACC teams. I just think this North Carolina State team is going to relish the opportunity to get back at home. It's a veteran unit. The season isn't over yet. New Year's Six Bowl is still within reach. You know, uh, Leary, I think, could cook a little bit against this FSU defense. as 87th in EPA per pass. Um NC State's defense, the best unit on the field. So I'm going to take them in a small number. I mean, you're telling me that these two teams are pretty much equal. Florida State just lost at home to Wake Forest. I know Sam Hartman's great, but that North Carolina State defense is far and away better than Wake Forest. So, you know, going on the road, give me uh, the Wolfpack here, minus three and a half. I have this closer to five, so I like it through four. Yeah, the coaching staff mismatch in this one tells the story. Tony Gibson's 3-3-5 defense, I think, is going to give, you know, Jordan Travis and that FSU offense fits. And then do we really need to see more from Norvell in tight yeah. situations where play calling makes a difference? He basically should have given away the LSU opener. Um, so I, I agree with a line this short, you may as well go with the better defense of the better coaching staff. Yeah. There's our late night picks. Uh, make sure you got those questions in. Uh, we're going to get to them in just a few minutes, but Mike, he's taking the over 70 in Oregon, Arizona. I am playing NC State minus three and a half against Florida State. You could pay a little bit more and get the minus three. That's perfectly fine. That's widely available. Uh, Mike, I got two more plays for best of the rest, and then we'll get to some questions. But I misread the market here on Stanford, Oregon State over. Um, I played 58 and a half. I projected closer to 60. It's now 56. Maybe uh, you know people are reacting to this chance Nolan neck injury um, on Oregon State, but I don't think that's going to factor into this game because Oregon State, the offensive line is going to absolutely feast against Stanford's defense. 20th in line yards, they're 27th in explosive rush, and Stanford's defense is terrible. I stayed up until 3 a.m. to watch him play Oregon last week. We were just talking about it. David Shaw has this team playing through the bitter end, trying to go over the total. I swear to God. He plays through no matter what. Tanner McKee stays until the end. He settles for three when they're down by 24. Um, he tries to get this game over. So this Stanford team is a play-on-over team for me. They have either scored or allowed 40-plus points in every single game this year. Um, Oregon State, I think you're getting a good buy-low spot. 16 points against Utah. They probably should have scored some more. Uh, of course, that USC slugfest, 14 points. They also scored 30-plus against Boise and Fresno State. I think we're going to see more of that now with Oregon State. 
whether it's Nolan or uh, Geba, their veteran backup. So I think over, you know, all the way to 60, I think is good here with Stanford, Oregon State. That's a real late night game. That's an 11 o'clock start. Uh, pray for me. I'm going to be up till 3 a.m. probably watching that. And then uh, Friday night, I'm going to take the three with Rutgers plus three against Nebraska. I think this is a little bit of an overreaction. Nebraska, they got their first cover last week against Indiana. Not as impressive as it seems. Less than five yards per play. And Rutgers is a far better defense than Indiana. Top 40 in terms of defensive success rate. They could shut down the ground game, allow less than three yards per rush. I just think, you know, Nebraska, their defense outside the top 100 in success rate. Maybe Rutgers get the offense going just a little, little bit in a low total game under 50. I'll take the plus three at home on a short week. I don't know why we're all of a sudden buying Nebraska um, after they cover against Indiana, who's terrible. So Rutgers plus three. Oregon State versus uh, Stanford over 56. Those are two more plays. Mike, you got anything else uh, you want to share for the audience? Well, I will share in terms of your over in that Stanford game. I think it. it's it's being undersold a little bit, the um, philosophy change. Now with EJ Smith out for the year, I think that just puts all the eggs in the Tanner McKee basket. So I do think they're going to be throwing even more and potentially you know, cooking up some points in the fourth quarter to aid in that over. One game that I liked last week that got moved because of Hurricane Ian is SMU-UCF. Okay, uh, Wednesday. Still, really yeah, early still, read. <laughs> really early read. We're sitting here at 64 and a half. I like it up to 68. And it, it's pretty simple. The Gus bus is now rolling. You know, when you add in John Rice Plumley in the rushing attack, they can probably go for 300 yards in this game because the SMU run defense stinks out loud. They cannot stop anybody. And then on the other side of things, Tanner Mordecai is going to be throwing into – kind of an underwhelming UCF secondary. They're, they're pretty stout in the front seven. But beyond that, if SMU can protect him, which basically that's the, the where these performances for SMU diverge. If they keep him upright and a clean jersey, he's going to throw for 300-plus yards and three touchdowns, probably a lot of them going to Rice. If they end up getting that pressure, he kind of wilts in those situations. So I'm going to bank on the coaching staff being able to protect him, whether it's keeping in running backs, you know, tight ends to chip, and going after a UCS defense. And I just think that there's going to be a lot of big plays in the running game. Plumlee is somebody at the quarterback position. Now that Milrose in for Alabama, he's still a top three rushing quarterback in the entire country. So I like over here, I think you're going to see kind of a, a weird, wild energy for a midweek game at the bounce house. And I think it's going to be one of, really it's kind of a, a fun AAC shootout. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that one for sure. And then while we still wait for some more questions to come in, make sure you get those in, uh, me and Mike are going to go through them. Why don't you tell us about, um, you know, the work you're doing with the Action Network when the new pod comes out with Mike Inell and then also um, some of the content you're doing with OLBG. Sure. So every Wednesday we record the Group of Five Deep Dive under the Big Bets on Campus banner. We basically provide everything in those five conferences, you know, looking at round robins, money line underdogs, you know, spreads, totals, everything like that. Those release on Wednesday afternoon, and then the rest of our staff, Stucky and Colin Wilson, they do the full national spread on Thursdays, and we also have a live show on Saturdays. That is great. It's with Fred McMurphy, so you get all that last little juicy intel in terms of injuries, coaching intrigue, all those kind of things. And then for OLBG, they're an outfit out of the UK. They've been around since 2002. They've really expanded aggressively in the last two years, moving from covering 
European sports, um, you know, soccer obviously being top among them, but, you know, snooker, darts, everything. I, I wasn't even familiar with how aggressive the Europeans are on betting on just about anything under the sun. But now they're expanding into North America. And I had the you know great honor of trying to usher that in in terms of the American sports betting landscape. So we're covering everything on the pro and college side there, as well as entertainment and uh, political futures as well. So if you can bet on it, we're you know throwing a market down and trying to get some good advice. Awesome. And then, yeah, you can follow Mike again at East Breeze on Twitter, E-A-S-T-B-R-E-E-S-E. Um, let's get to some questions, though, because I know we missed on a few of the what we thought would be uh, the marquee matchup. This was pe- penciled in, but, you know, you lose too much. That's what happens. So Red River, uh, the Sooners are now down to plus seven and a half, according to Jerry Friedman. He wants to know, is that too many points? I think this comes down to Dylan Gabriel's injury status. It looks like Quinn Ewers is going to be back. It seemed like the last few weeks he may have been able to play, holding him out for this one. I mean, again, I think this is a Gabriel – this is a Gabriel's not playing number, and in that case, probably just no interest. I don't know. This game is kind of – this is one I'm probably just passing on in general. Mike, you have any opinion here? It's also a pass for me, but if, you know, you twist my arm, I'm going to lay the points with Texas because the potential viewers elevating that offense, we all saw that in the first half against Alabama, what he gives them in downfield passing game. But in terms of the quarterback situation, it's a mess in Norman right now, and there's no longer the quarterback whisperer, Lincoln Riley, to be able to extract some value out of whoever they, you know, end up rolling the dice with as their QB1. So I'm going to go ahead and maybe lean Texas, but I agree in, in a rivalry like this with so many emotions running hot, it's probably best to just keep your money on the sideline. Yeah. Just with too much injury questions, you used to, especially now on Tuesday, this like probably isn't the show for that where we try to give you like more certainty. This one has a ton of uncertainty. Um, now we didn't talk about, of course, my Wisconsin uh, Badgers. We fired Paul Chris last week. Uh, Jerry also wants to know, will they bounce back and cover nine and a half versus a uh, terrible Northwestern team? I had this written down as I wanted to bet Northwestern. Then we, fired, you know, we, Wisconsin, fired Paul Christ. Uh, really quick thought on that. You know, I, I did defend Paul Christ for a while. You know, that's my guy. He took us to some orange bowls. That's awesome. But it was running stale. It was apparent. I think, you know, Wisconsin needs to start getting with the times. I think that this is, this is a sign that the new AD and the new leadership at Wisconsin are going to be more aggressive you know, give Jim Leonard a real chance. Can he maybe capture some fire here and, you know, lock, lock down the full-time job? We'll see. But ultimately, if Graham Mertz going to be the quarterback, I can't back this team. The new coach angle hasn't really worked this year. I'm not interested in backing Wisconsin, though. Probably Northwestern or Paso. They just given the roster constraints of Wisconsin. I just look at it as Northwestern had everything go their way last week in Happy Valley in terms of turnovers and, you know, just fumbles being handed to them and they couldn't capitalize at all. And Evan Hull, which was a, he was a nice story early in the season. He was leading them and receiving, leading them and rushing, you know, maybe he's the Swiss army knife to kind of just drag them to the verge of bowl eligibility. Not, not so much anymore. So I just don't really see Northwestern moving the football all that effectively. I know it's difficult to, to get yourself fired up about a Badger offense, that, particularly Braylon Allen. I mean, what's going on with the running game? You would think that would be their bread and butter and they could just bully the Wildcats here. But once again, you know, I lean Wisconsin, but with so many yeah. unanswered questions in terms of coaching coming into this game, that this should be a pass. Yeah, I boycotted the game last week because I'm done with Graham Mertz. And I said that the Badgers need change. They they got me back though with uh, they they got me back with a fire. So I'll I'll watch the Wisconsin Northwestern game to give Jim Leonard a chance. I'll do it at, for respect to him, but that's pretty much it. 
Um, and then final question from Jerry here. Uh, any first half leans such as, you know, it seems like he's looking like bigger favorites in the first half, Bama, Georgia, Ohio state. I'll go first. I was thinking Ohio state first half. Um, not sure what the number is going to be on this one. I imagine it's going to be, you know, North of 14, probably closer to like 17, but this Michigan state team is terrible. Half the defensive starters are out. Um, the offense can't keep up. The Ohio State defense is really starting to look the part as well. I think that this is a name your number for Ohio State. I would rather go probably first half over full game just because they're on the road. Maybe they want to get out of there. But, you know, first half, I haven't really gotten that deep into it. Ohio State would probably be a look for me, though. Their team total over also, you know, in the 40 should be okay. This Michigan State team can't stop anybody. Let's pair that Ohio State play up with Alabama. I'm not okay. breaking any. I'm not breaking any news here. Alabama is fantastic in the first half, you know, <laughs> in big numbers in SEC play, and this is a pure blood rivalry game. You know that Saban is going to fire up his team to go ahead and lay a huge number on a And M. And as I mentioned, I think they're almost more explosive because of the running game right now, the way that it's going with Milrow in there. If it's Milrow, it's a play for me. If it's Bryce Young, you don't know necessarily, are they going to protect him with the play calling? They don't want him to take hits. Mm. So it's injury dependent there. But if it's Milrow, I'm going to go ahead and take Alabama minus a big number in the first half. Interesting insight there from Mike. And then Greg Schwartz just chimed in with a BYU Notre Dame. We spoke about that one in the underdog pick segment, not to give it away. So uh, just go rewind. Uh, We will, you know, we have plenty of info on that BYU Notre Dame game. Me and Mike are seeing eye to eye there. But in the meantime, let's bring up that recap graphic, you know, for people like Greg. Uh, We could show everyone what we have. Mike is taking TCU minus seven against Kansas. Kent State minus six against Miami of Ohio. Tennessee minus two and a half against LSU. BYU on the money line against Notre Dame at plus 150 and Oregon, Arizona over 70 late night. Uh, Me, I am taking TCU team total over 36 and a half. That's good to 38 South Florida plus 28 against Cincinnati, South Carolina, Kentucky over 49 and a half Washington state catching 13 against USC and NC state minus three and a half against Florida state. Those are our early read best bets. Mike, Thank you so much for coming on. Make sure you check him out at the Action Network. His group of Dive Deep Dive podcast with Mike Ionel comes out tomorrow afternoon. That's Wednesday for those podcast listeners. And a big shout out to Joanne Woodcock. She does everything behind the scenes for the show. Until then, we will see you for week seven of college football. Uh, Everybody have a profitable weekend. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.